One small step for man. Jesus, goddamn. 22 hours hanging in the air. Sometimes you take the fame. Sometimes you sit backstage. But if it weren't for me, then boys would still be there. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby Collins. John Craigie. Songwriter. Craigie. He's kind of like a sort of modern-day Bob Dylan. Wrote a song called Michael Collins. It's pretty good, isn't it? Who's our astronaut of the week. Complete ledge. Yeah. Where do we start? I I get a bit emotional this week. Have you? Yeah, I did. I did. And I I thought I was going to get Apollo fatigue, but I haven't. I've really enjoyed you it. Any uh, anything that surprised you? Anything you didn't know, Matthew? Uh, I didn't know how much I loved Neil Armstrong, but yeah. the, the Armstrong movie put me right on that. Put, put um, you on track. Hmm. I, I guess that the, the one fact I learned in the, over the last few weeks was from Richard Wiseman, who wrote a book about uh, the psychological aspect of Apollo Eleven. And, uh, yeah, it looks like a really interesting book, but one of the anecdotes in the book is that all the mission controllers were really, really young, like super young, chosen for that, yeah. because basically all the old guys just thought it couldn't be done, so they just went, ah, you, you, you can do it. And then all these young guys turned out to be absolutely brilliant. One of them arrived in his car, couldn't find a parking space, so parked it at the, on the steps of mission control, and then uh, someone turned around and said, no, you can't park it there, and banned him from bringing his car in. So the next day he arrived on horse and tied his <laughs> horse up outside the mission control, which I thought was a pretty cool story. Genius. Obviously, the thing that I loved this week was doing Michael Collins as Astronaut of the Week. Learned to appreciate him just a hell of a lot more. Definitely. Big up, Michael Collins. We've got a couple of happy birthdays. It's a happy birthday for the 19th of July. Goes to the one and only Brian May, famous astronomer, part-time guitarist. Definitely part-time. I mean, what's he ever done? Yeah. And then there's another guy called Jayant Nalika, who uh, who came up with some form of conformal gravity theory with uh, old Fred Hoyle, an Indian... Uh, astronomer, astrophysicist. So, yeah. Well, happy, happy birthday, birthday to them to both of you. Yeah, yeah. A couple of ledges. Ledge. Double ledge. A few months ago, a few maybe years ago now, there was a really interesting paper. I don't know if you ever saw it from an Oxford physicist called David Robert Grimes, PhD. And we probably I mentioned... Didn't know. I think we probably mentioned this on our, on our moon hoax show. But basically, he worked out the mathematical probability of of conspiracies and how long people could keep them secret. Yes. And he worked out that the moon landings, if there was 411,000 people working on it, then it would have been leaked within three years and eight months, mathematically right. speaking. So very unlikely that it's a, that it's a hoax. Is it? Are you sure, Matt? <laughs> I mean, the, the more you watch about people, you know, like Armstrong and those kind of people you think as as if you could cajole people like that into just they're not take, the best actors are they no. no taking that kind of seek not that monumental secret to the grave that's no, ridiculous it's just ridiculous as i don't if i don't think we need to uh i don't think we need to go over it too much 
Oh, um, I saw that. I saw the Daily Star or someone like that running a terrible clickbait thing saying uh, Neil Armstrong admits to hoax. Fifty years on, and then it's a clip of Neil Armstrong saying that when he put his thumb up just as he was getting into the the launch, he's like, <laughs> he's just he's saying, yeah, I was kind of fudging it. I was a little bit nervous, but I was pretending everything was okay. He's like, that's the that's hoax. all they had. That's, that's the all hoax. They had, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Do you know what? I, I think we've done a lot of looking back. And, and one thing I am glad, I think this is probably the last episode of doing all this looking back now. I think it kind of, this 50th anniversary kind of frees us of the shackles of Apollo 11 in some ways. So I just thought, we'd, we'd be, before we went into Michael Collins, have a quick look at the legacy of Apollo 11. Let's do it. So I think it's, it's quite easy, isn't it, to get a little bit negative about it. And, and I guess the big negative point is that it's just so epic that you you just can't top it. So everything after the moon landings seems a little bit lame. Yeah. The rocket equation hasn't changed. Humans are still made of human DNA. So it's still just as difficult to build a spacecraft to take us to the moon. Nothing's become easier. It's just as hard. In fact, it's harder because we've got more health and safety and and more concerns about money, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and no sort of arms race or global warfare going on to kind of push us to go further but i was thinking what was what has been happening and and the the legacy of apollo is all the people everyone that you speak to remember all those astronauts we spoke to at stech all of them and all the great scientists they were all of that age where they were watching it and were truly inspired by it when they were kids yeah and and it's like the amount of times they say yeah this was the thing that made me interested in physics and astrophysics and this was the thing that made me interested in science and this was the thing that made me want to fly all those things it, it basically gave us all these great people that went on and did amazing things so there's that there's that legacy for a start do you think people are still going to say the same about the meat pie that was sent into space I don't think that's going to have the uh, that big an impact. No. 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 Okay. I don't, I, As you were. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of it is also the fact that Apollo Eleven and Saturn Five represented like this monumental Herculean kind of epic scale of things. But that's not what the last fifty years has been about, has it? It's, it's all about making everything smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. And so I think that's the reason why technology is literally harder to spot because it's... Well, it's, it's very hard to spot. Did you see uh, this week's news with our mate Elon, Drink, uh, uh, and his AI uh, <laughs> AI <laughs> wafer-thin uh, hairs that can be slotted into your brain? Oh, yeah, the, the old kind of... Yeah, the brain electronics interface. That's the old um, Kurzweil... Yeah, yeah. Na- nanobots in your bloodstream thing. Yeah, you know, maybe that's the way it's going. And see, that might cure the... Was it hu- New- Neuralink, is it? Is that his thing? It'd be interesting to see if he can have any breakthroughs. But it's all about breakthroughs, scalability, all that kind of thing. I think it's great. I mean, it's certainly going to help out, um, you know, people with Parkinson's, etc. hopefully very soon. That would be great. Yeah. And really... NASA have gone on to done some amazing things with Voyager, Viking, Cassini, Gaia, ISS, oh, yeah. Hubble. You know, all these things are being are being absolutely incredible. But it's just human exploration that seems like it's stalled and and stopped moving. But we're we're just on the cusp, aren't we? Where things might slowly start changing. Where 
where the commercial sector matures. We get a little bit of in-space architecture. We maybe get a colony on the moon. And then we can start ironing out all those massive problems of getting to Mars, of which there are many. Even though 50 years ago we did the most monumental space thing, I think it is now a time where we might move in and start doing something bigger. I agree. I think it's starting to get to that stage, isn't it, where we're hoping for the next huge thing that's going to go on and inspire another wave of uh, of scientists and astronauts and, and whatnot. I love it. It's exciting times, Matt. It is, and, and I, I really hope that everyone looks forward now. In, in some ways, maybe this is a great watershed moment, this 50th anniversary, that we can now go, right, let's forget Apollo. That was amazing. But now let's think of something that we can do that's different and, and do something different and do something amazing. Artemis sounds a little, is too much like Apollo. That's my problem with it. But hey... Mm. It might, if it, as long as it starts all those things I mentioned, like the space infrastructure that's required, then it might be really cool. It might just be the thing that's required. But well, let's, we let's will watch. forego. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we'll look at, you know, well, let's watch this space. Let's 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 push forward. Have a look. I see what you did there. I'm really, I'm really, I am really excited though, Jamie. It's kind of given me a new. In- I can hear it in your voice. A new incentive for the podcast to talk about everything that's happening in the future. Next week, next week, Jamie, I did a really great interview with a couple of. Um, habitat specialists. So we're going to yeah. start off with habitats and space habitats oh, and all that yes. kind of stuff. So it's going to Matt, be great. I love it. I, I just love the passion in your voice. You yeah, know what? Big time. You sound, you sound like a man who is full of spunk. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, so where do we start? Let's start with Astronaut of the Week. I want, hey. I want, I want to address the balance here. I want to talk about Michael Collins. And 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 the way I frame this is, you know, you know, when you're a, a teenager, and you oh yeah, and you're going out clubbing, but the Big club's time. like quite a long way away, and so you have to drive there. So one of the gang has to drive. They can't get drunk. They can't, you know, they've got to drive, right? That's true. That's Michael Collins, isn't it? Michael Collins is the guy that had the designated to designated driver. It's a designated driver, isn't he? He's the one that unfortunately no one will remember the epic dance move that he pulled off. <laughs> Because everyone else was drunk. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about that analogy? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got another analogy. He is un- undoubtedly the George Harrison of Apollo 11, isn't he? Everyone forgets he his name. But he really is ace at the same nice. time. <laughs> absolutely I mean, ace. I noticed that the guy, a lot of newspapers, including The Guardian and USA Today, describe him as the forgotten man. And it has to be said, mm. considering it's Apollo 11, a lot of people do forget his name, don't they? It's it's crazy. This is the thing. It's like how many people, if you said, who's the bass player from the Rolling Stones, what would they say? Um, yeah, Bill Wyman. They, they would definitely, a lot of people wouldn't know. So I'm shouting out to three people, George Harrison, Michael Collins, and Bill Wyman. Oh, yeah. I've, mm, Bill Wyman, though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's maybe he's not no, shout out. Yeah, he's no, he's no George Harrison and Michael Collins. Um, shall we? Uh, well, I tell you what. By the time we finish talking about him, everyone will go, "Oh my God, Michael Collins! What a bang out! He needs to be Let's remembered." Do it. So, first of all, he's born on Halloween, nineteen thirty. Oh yes, I cannot believe this. Nineteen thirty is the same year as Armstrong, Aldrin, Pogue, yeah. Irwin, Adams, Conrad, Mitchell. 
even John Young and Ed White what? were all born in 1930, as was Frank Jeez. as was Frank Drake, Gene Hackman, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, Sean Connery, Richard Harris. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> Mickey Mouse and Betty Boot made their debuts. Pluto was discovered in 1930. Twinkies and sliced bread and neoprene were all sort of introduced <laughs> in the 1930 in 1930. Penicillin cured someone for the first time in 1930. Doesn't that put everything into perspective? That's the that's wow. the time that he was born in 1930. An incredible, incredible year where everything the the whole world is is changing. Is it? You can feel the modernity creeping in with those. Well. Do you things. know my favourite of the bunch, Matt? Mm-hmm. The chocolate chip cookie. Yes. 1930. The chocolate chip cookie, yeah. I mean, where would we be? I mean, we'd be a lot slimmer, but where would we be? Yeah, that screams, it's modern times, doesn't it? Tell you what, yes. Here's a really odd one that I didn't know. Michael Collins was born in Italy. Was he? He's a, he's a European. He's a born in Rome. Ah, Roma. Yeah, Roma. And, uh, yeah, God, he's got his Bachelor of Science from the US Military Academy. Um, but, yeah, he's born into a really sort of heavy military background. Everyone in his family is a massive military person, hence he's being sort of posted around everywhere. He's, mm. he's got an elder brother who was in the military and lots of illustrious members of the military, not just in the military, but very high up. Yeah. So his first flying experience was in the Grumman G44 Widgeon, which is one of those twin-engine amphibious aircraft, and that was on his way Ah. to another of his father's postings, Puerto Rico. But he wanted to pursue flying, but with the outbreak of World War II, that was put on hold. Matt, does amphibious mean that it can go in the air as well as the sea, or does it mean that it lays eggs? It means that it lays eggs in the water but breeds on land. <laughs> right, I thought so. Carry yeah. on. Yeah, um, yeah. So his mum wanted his, his mum wanted him to go into the diplomatic uh, circuit, but uh, no, the rest of his he just followed the rest of his family. So he went into the United States military, and his he did his degree at the military academy, and and also on that same course was Ed White. Oh, uh, but it, to avoid. Um, everyone going, oh, it's just your family connections and favours that have made you big in the army, bearing in mind his uncle was General J. Lawton Collins, the chief of staff of the United States Army. That'll do it. (laughs) That'll do it. You would have thought he could get you a gig. Yeah. So he decided, no, he's not going to use a bit of nepotism. He's going to go out and become a pilot. So he Uh, uh, apparently he found flying planes really easy. It was super cool, completely fearless. And the first plane he started to learn in was the T6 Texan, a really cool single engine. Yeah, it's a pretty cool aircraft when you see it. It, it, I think they use them. They use those in in like war movies when it's Japanese planes because it's got one of those kind of big glass hoods that the Japanese planes Uh, you saw. Yeah, that's right. You think of planes. But then he went on to fly the transonic jet fighter, the F86 Saber. Which is Ooh. which is one of the most successful fighters ever made, and it's like a pro, the first swept wing fighter to, to that they built to combat the MIGs of the Russians. Wow! Yeah, and he trained in that on things like nuclear weapons delivery, and uh, he even had to bail out of one on a NATO exercise when the cockpit caught fire. So he's a cool cat. He's a cool cat. Oh, he's already done a lot. Yeah, so when he clocked up over 1,500 hours of uh, flying, 
he was able to apply for test pilot class, which included mm. Frank Borman, Jim Irwin, and Tom Stafford. And then he went on to fly, you know, the best planes ever made. Uh, but he watched John Glenn go up um, yes. to become the first American in, you know, to do an orbit. And he thought, I have got. I want some to, of that. I want to go. I want. I want some of that. So he applied for the astronaut group two, the first, the second set of astronauts chosen, mm. or otherwise known as the New Nine, which is an ace yes. superhero movie, isn't it? The New Nine. The New Nine. That's yeah. that's a marvel. And, and to waiting be, to be done. And to be fair, the New Nine were. In fact, Collins himself actually refers to the New Nine as the greatest astronaut selection. So it's got Armstrong, Young, Lovell, Borum, Borman in it. So it's kind of, yeah, that is a bang-out selection. Well, just Armstrong and Ed Young, Munchos. that's enough. But Lovell yeah. as well. It's like, wow. So um, so after clocking up 3,000 hours, 2,700 in a jet aircraft, he then applied again and he got in. He got into Group 3. God, so it was another 1,500 hours. Until he got in, my lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so only wow. him and Anders were the out of that first thirty astronauts were the only two born outside of the USA. After the initial training, Collins picked David Scott as the person he would most like to fly to space with. I'd love that full list okay. of who they. Alan Shepard made them all choose their favorite, their favorite person to go to space with. It'd be really interesting to see that list, wouldn't it? I would love to see that list. Yeah, it'd be really cool, wouldn't it? So then he went up. Ge Gemini 10 was his first space trip. And Gemini, That's right. And Gemini 10 is really, really interesting. A, he, he went up with arguably the greatest astronaut of all time, John Young, 17th person in space at that point. But mm. he was the first. So, so Collins was the first person to do two EVAs in space, fourth person ever to do a spacewalk, to do an EVA. Okay, yeah. He's already the most experienced spacewalker by this point. And the EVA-1, which is a bit of a cool coincidence, was 53 years ago today. So that was July the 19th. 49 minutes, stood up in the open hatch of riding the Gemini capsule. And this is how Collins described it. Like a Roman guard riding the skies in his chariot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool, isn't it? Imagine it. Like opening up That's the epic. it's genius, isn't it? Like opening up the sunroof, getting out and taking a few photos. So he took uh, photos of the Milky Way because they were in the shadow of Earth, of course, and used UV film as well. Um, but had to come back in because it, they, they both went blind. John Young and Collins both went blind because loads of stuff was coming into their spacesuit that shouldn't have been there. And he said it was quite terrifying, really, because it's not a case of just shutting the hatch and pulling a big lever. There's lots of tiny little levers, and you've got to make sure your umbilical cord isn't all snagged up in and everything else. He said, even though even though they've been training mm. on it for absolutely ages, it's like, well... Always helps. You've got to be pretty careful. Uh and his second EVA is even is, is even cooler yeah. because when they were up there, they were rendezvousing with a Gina spacecraft. So something that Gemini 8 had failed. This is the one that Armstrong went mm. into that terrifying spin, which essentially kind of gave Armstrong, everyone thought Armstrong was uh, yes. the coolest because he was able to control that and stay calm. So that's kind of got him the first man on the moon gig. But he didn't... But this, so there was two Agena spacecraft up that Gemini 10 could dock, could dock with, 
and they did. And Collins' his second EVA was to sort of make his way over to this, this uh, abandoned Agena spacecraft that had almost killed <laughs> that had almost killed Armstrong. Mm. So he went flying across, and of course he couldn't grab onto anything because no one had actually thought about putting handholds onto anything. He said, Collins even says we were a bit stupid. <laughs> we just didn't realise that you needed something to hold onto. So he's like slipping and sliding all over this Agena going, <laughs> oh my God, uh, which actually wasted quite a bit of fuel. Mm. But he had this thing called the HHMU, which was the hand handheld maneuvering unit which is like a nitrogen gun that you sort of blast around which he'd practiced on earth on a sort of giant air hockey table stood on a puck wow so imagine like a really smooth floor and this and this kind of circular disc that that lifted itself off the ground with a bit of on an air cushion and then he just practiced using that all the time so it's quite hard to do but yeah that is pretty amazing isn't Might it give so that a go so by this point, Collins had become like the absolute don of EVA. Totally. Aldrin actually was the person that cracked uh, EVA by the fact that he was a keen scuba diver, and that and that's why mm. they all train in water these days because uh, Aldrin had kind of uh, was so much better than everyone else because it was like he he knew how to do all these maneuvering around without right. without tiring himself out. Whereas Collins took ages to do everything, and, he, and it completely knackered him out. He mm. made a few mistakes as well. He, he cocked up something to do with his uh, sextant. Um, so that was not good. And then he, he collected, he he dropped his Hasselblad on his second EVA. So that's somewhere in space, I would imagine, unless it's oh, deorbited. And then when he collected the micrometeorite collector from the Agena, mm. he, he, he managed to collect it. But when he was getting back in, apparently it drifted back out into space without them noticing <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> but See yeah, ya. but all, all in all, Gemini 10 was an extremely successful mission. Sounds like it. Splashed down in the ocean, uh, and that craft can be seen in the Cosmosphere in Kansas. And the Agena craft both uh, re-entered a year later. Very cool. Yeah. But then, of course, Collins gets moved to the Apollo program. Here we go. It's hotting up. Yeah, and actually there's a few little – there's lots of little details in here that I didn't know. But, yeah, so he's moved to the Apollo program, and really he was slated to be the command module pilot, which is second in command, Mm. essentially, of Apollo 8. Oh, yeah, so he 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 was put into helicopters to just in case they he would he was going to become a lunar module lander because that was the way they mm. trained them, and then unfortunately the Apollo one fire of course absolutely changed everything. Yes, and Collins was in the astronaut office when the call came in, and he had the horrific duty of going to the Chaffee household and telling uh, Martha Chaffee that her husband had died mm. in that Horrible. fire. Which was, yeah, grim, absolutely grim as grim. So he then went to the Paris Air Show. Now, this is a really interesting one. So, yeah, he went to the Paris Air Show in 1967 Mm. and he met his Russian counterparts. So that's the legendary Pavel Belyayev and Konstantin Fyoktistov. (laughs) Fyoktistov. That's for all our Russian followers out there. Enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. So, uh, And they were bragging that they were practicing in helicopters as well and that they'd shortly be flying around the moon. So, yeah, oh. so they were thinking they were about to do their own 
Apollo 8. And this is before Apollo 8 had happened. So there must yeah. have been a little bit of, oh, my God, oh, my God, a bit of a panic on. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, really get this for a nice gesture. While he was over there, uh, Metz, which is another town in France, uh, he um, they arranged, uh, NASA arranged for Collins and his wife, Pat, to go to Metz and said, you must go. Uh, you know, to celebrate your 10th anniversary of your wedding. And then they had organised a, a, a new ceremony for them to renew their vows. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's really nice. Here's the kicker. Collins found that that he was walking badly and that, that he's got all these tingly sensations. So he's like, oh, no. I'm 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 getting ill with something. This is bad. And like being an astronaut, you really don't want to get ill, so you kind of keep crying no. about it. But anyway, he they thought I'm going to have to go to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor, and he, they find that he's got a disc herniation that needs Oof. sorting out. Right. So he has to go in for surgery, and they fuse two vertebrae together. But of course, this means God. that he loses his Apollo eight place to Jim Lovell. Oh no. And it's kind of via Apollo 9 because of the, the Apollo 1 fire. It's a bit confusing, but essentially he loses his place to Jim Lovell. But mm. he, because, he, because he trained for Apollo 8, he, he becomes the Capcom of the mission. Ah, there we go. And he often, actually, um, um, Collins himself actually says that he thinks that, that the Apollo 8 mission was perhaps in 100 years' time will be perceived as more important than the than the uh, Apollo 11. So, But he was the Capcom, and he said "What well, the thing that annoys him is that uh, when it was his... It, basically, he, he told them, you are go for TLI, translunar injection. He was saying, can you believe it when people look back? It's going to be pretty d- disappointing that when someone told three humans that they were going to be the first people to leave Earth's gravity for the first time ever... That he didn't say something God. more profound, evoking Christopher yeah. Columbus or some primordial <laughs> swamp reference. That was it. <laughs> so you are go for the TLI. Yeah, you go for TLI. It's like, is that Jesus. it? We're the first yeah. humans to leave Earth's gravity. Can you not put something like better in here? So yeah, Collins was the person that's, that told human beings that they could leave Earth's gravity, the chains of Earth's gravity, for the first time. Incredible. But of course. This back problem that had been a bit of a nightmare and had bumped him off Apollo 8 bumped him into Apollo 11. And, and of course, mm. it, it wasn't. they didn't know that that was going to be the lunar landing one, but it certainly has become the most iconic flight of any kind. Let me ask you, Matt, if he, had, if he hadn't had the back problem and he did Apollo 8, would he still have been in contention for Apollo 11 after no, that, no, maybe? No, no he or wouldn't. Not? No, he wouldn't. And in, fact, and in fact, the great thing about Collins was he'd already decided that once he'd helped uh, uh, sort out the moon landings, he, he, he wouldn't be that bothered about doing another mission, that, he's, that he was basically missing his family too much. So he was going to play his part and then drop out. Which is why, he, right. which is why he never went to the moon. Actually, stood on the moon. Otherwise, he would have done. And do you know what? That the lucky, the lucky bugger that that got to be in his place was Gene Cernan. So, in actual fact, mm. if Collins had basically just kept his place and had, and and had not said that he wanted to to be with his family more, he would have been the last man on the moon, Collins. Mm. So that that's pretty that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And Gene and Gene Cernan would have lost out. So it's 
that, that, that that's amazing. So no, in actual fact, if he'd done Apollo eight, he probably would have been like Jim Lovell being on something like Apollo fourteen or fifteen, where, wherever Jim. No, Lovell ended up on Apollo thirteen, didn't he? Of course. Mm, so that's Co- right. yeah, so Collins may have ended up on the disastrous Apollo thirteen mission instead. <laughs> God, it's mad how all these juggle into place. I love it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, a lot of it is luck, isn't it? Uh, the only person I feel it isn't luck is is Armstrong because he was just so the right man for the job. You know. This is it. Or maybe. And Matt, we, we worked together for maybe a few months, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. But if, if it had just been a few months earlier that I'd left, then... Um, we wouldn't be sitting here, would we? No, that's right, Jamie. That's right. It's I, you know. I always say, history and your life revolve around these tiny black swan moments, and there's now oh. you can do about it. Are you saying I'm like a black swan? Yeah, a beautiful black swan at that. Oh, I tell you what, very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and, and a and a cork shaped penis. Yes, absolutely. Did you know that, Matt? The the only bird with a penis is the swan i'm going to accept that as fact but i'm going to look it up well it's true because ironically it's the only bird that's called a cob and a pen every other bird is called a cock and a hen apart from the bird with a cock which is a swan okay so there you go <laughs> that's a real... uh, just a a little off track uh, fact for you yeah well talking of birds jamie i'm, oh, I'm yeah. going to get it back in here because Collins was actually the designer of the Apollo 11 patch. No way, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Someone had, I think Jim Lovell had said that he was thinking about an eagle because the eagle was, you know, represents America. But Collins yeah. found this painting by Walter A. Weber and traced mm. it over a picture of the moon and put the earth in the background. And that is the, the you know, the classic iconic Apollo 11 patch. I'm going to Google it now so it's fresh in my memory. Where are you? Apollo 11 patch. Oh, come on. You know it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so, yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? While he was practicing to be the command module pilot, he he basically was spent a lot of his time training away from Armstrong and Aldrin because, you know, he's that's what he's in charge of. Doesn't really have much to have to do with uh, Armstrong and Aldrin's training. So he spent over 600 hours in the simulator and literally wrote the book on the, all the different scenarios for rendezvous. What, what if the LM didn't land? So if Armstrong had aborted uh, instead of trying to find somewhere to land? If What if, if yeah. the lunar module had, had launched late or early? Uh, uh-huh. But in, in, in his mind, of course, he must, have, uh, he must have been thinking, oh, my God, what if, you know, what if the engine doesn't work and the lunar, lunar module doesn't even take off at all? And... He'd say, and and he, 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 the quote is, "I'd go home, leaving the others behind." They knew that, and I knew that, but it's not something we ever talked about. What's the point? So the book, 117 pages long, on all the various rendezvous scenarios, and he rated Armstrong and Aldrin's chances of survival as 50-50. God damn! I mean, yeah, of course they would just be this unspoken. Uh, I mean, just all of the things going on in their head that they just knew that they were all thinking, but you just wouldn't talk about it because, yeah, he's right. What's the point? There's nothing you can do. You prepare as best you can, right? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, 
that does put everything into perspective. Everyone, everyone knew that they were doing their job. Everyone had sort of said to each other, you know, we, I, I trust you so much that all the decisions that you yeah. you make, you made the right one. If I die, then right. then I you know don't don't for a second think it's your fault. We're all making right. we're all making hard decisions, but we're all going to be making right. the right ones. So yeah, the big day, Saturn Five. This week, July the 16th, 1969, um, 50 years ago. So, Big day. Just in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> so yes. Collins described the launch, and this, 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 this comes from David Whitehouse's book. Collins describes the launch, and I'm not quite sure how politically correct this is, as a nervous lady driving a wide car down a narrow alley. <laughs> <laughs> very sexist but you know what it was 1969 yeah these things were said and he was terrified that they were going to hit the, the launch tower because of course mm. you know that it's it's altering its course driving around furiously as it's self-correcting all the time 12 yeah. minutes later they're in orbit after one and a half orbits the third stage pushes them towards the moon and it's at that point collins does one of his best bits of piloting 30 minutes later, the transposition docking and extraction manoeuvre, which is where the Apollo command and service module are sort of taken out from the adapter, uh, which fastens it for the launch. Uh, they turn around and then they dock them nose to nose and then pull the entire thing out uh, and go on their way to the moon. It takes about an hour to do that. And the spent upper stage rocket flies past and went into heliocentric orbit. Some of their later Apollo ones, as we talked about before, they they smashed into the moon for um, to do some seismic experiments. But yeah, yes. But so now they're wow. now they're traveling in this tin can for three days, and even that is like pretty hardcore, isn't it? it, it you, like you know how awful it was being in a splitter bus uh, for, for just, <laughs> yeah. even for a few hours. Then for six uh, hours, but, yeah, yeah. But for, for three days, and I should imagine it was less comfortable, and there was more things to Definitely. do, and it was certainly you had a feeling of much more danger. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so they get into lunar orbit. Aldrin and Armstrong get into the Eagle, separate from the from Columbia. Collins then inspects the Eagle as it as it does a maneuver in front of him to make sure that everything's working. The landing legs are down. The craft mm -hmm. isn't damaged. And then Collins gives them the go and says, yep, off you go. And, of course, everyone thought that Collins would be lonely because he was the first person to be on his own for so long on the other side of the moon. In space, yes. And, um, yeah, you know, at one point he's, he's flying the other side of the moon and everyone else is the other side of the moon. <laughs> I'm mm, an, I'm, I am alone now, truly alone and absolutely isolated from any known life. I am it. If I count... Would take if a count were taken, the score would be three billion plus two over on the other side of the moon, and one plus God knows what on this side. <laughs> That's a brilliant, yeah, point, isn't it? yeah. So it plus he, so God he, knows so he what orbits the moon thirty times for forty eight minutes each time. He's in complete silence, and every time he talks about this, he says how lovely it was. He gave him this awareness, anticipation, satisfaction, confidence, almost exultation is what he says. Wow. And he sat there like fully confident that his part was just as important as the other two. But because he was in radio silence, he's one of the only people 
bearing in mind that 60 million people were watching this on telly. He, he, right. was the, he, he never actually heard Armstrong say one small step. So, yeah, he didn't actually get to hear it. <laughs> uh, that's quite a shame. But then, I mean, a shame as in us thinking, oh, wouldn't he have loved to have been involved in that? Or wouldn't he have loved to have stepped on the moon? But still not bad thing to have done. Oh, right? oh no, totally. I mean, look, he's part He's part of it. He is the George Harrison yeah. of, of that mission. You know, the Beatles wouldn't be the same without George Harrison and... And Apollo Eleven isn't the same without Michael Collins. You know, he's just as Correct. he's just as important. That's why. That's why I thought it'd be fun to do Michael Collins as, as, as astronaut yeah, of the week in yeah. Apollo Fifty. Uh, he he was so chuffed with his spacecraft that he that he's etched into the command module. He he etched in spacecraft one hundred and seven alias Apollo Eleven alias Columbia, the best ship to come down the line. God bless her, Michael Collins. Incredible. He might have been a little bit. That, he might have been a little bit bored. <laughs> that was a confident man. Yeah. genius. So, bear, I mean, you, you think how hard this manoeuvre must be. Really, these are great pilots. When you when you think about, if you look at Armstrong's background as a pilot, Aldrin's background as a pilot, Collins' background as a pilot, and so you've got these three insane pilots and then you've got this lunar module la- uh, taking off from the moon and then doing this rendezvous in orbit you know getting them getting back stuck back together and then mm. they're on their way back to the earth and splash down in the, in the pacific eight days three hours 18 minutes 35 seconds later incredible wow so cool it's just mind-blowing isn't it yeah i'm trying to picture i'm trying to picture it as you were speaking matt i'm trying to picture it and and what it would have been like. I'm still confident I'm going to go up. Well, big time. You, you're going, and I'll be at what? What will I be etching in, Matt? You'll be etching in something like interplanetary podcast. Please subscribe. Yeah, Spa- leave a five star review. Cheers. Spaceship Two, the best craft coming down the line. Something like that. Yeah. So in September. They yes. uh, went off on their 38-day world tour, 22 foreign no countries, doubt. and uh, met all the kind of big world leaders. And Collins, in a lot of his speeches, always bangs on about the the thousands and thousands of people that were just as important as he was. Brilliant. Yeah, that's important, very important. I'm glad that they went on about that. Yeah. But because he'd played his part, like he said, he was man of his word. He he literally left the Apollo program because he'd done his bit. And uh, so he wasn't assigned to become the last man on the moon. And he became, this is the weirdest one, he became the Assistant Secretary of State for Public Affairs because Richard Nixon wanted him to be. Uh, but it's a t- terrible job at a terrible time. I mean, it's like the uh, it, it was totally going to shit. The Vietnam was going to shit camp a war in cambodia going to shit the kate state mm. shooting incident and all that kind of stuff but yeah. he said something that that you could really say about modern times at the time because he he blamed a lot of america's woes on on america being insular and people being insular and this is what he says he says farmers mm. speak to farmers students to students business leaders to other business leaders but the intramural talk serves mainly to mirror one's beliefs, to reinforce exi- existing prejudices, to lock out opposing views. So what the hell would he think of Facebook and things like that? Oh, my God, yeah. You know, so he's talking about the, the bubble there, isn't he? Really is. 
Important the echo message. chamber, right there. Yeah. So he, he he then he's the director of the National Air Space and Muse, uh, Air and Space Museum. So he only did that the the other job for a very short while before like going. Oh, I don't really like this. <laughs> and yes. uh, yeah, he stayed at the National Air and Space Museum until 1978. Uh, and in the meantime, got a, a business degree from Harvard in the Advanced Management Program. And in the same year, 1974, wrote the classic, which some most people regard as the best astronaut book, Carrying the Fire, An Astronaut's Journey. Genius. Genius work. He's written four other books, and he set up a company, his own company, Michael Collins Associates Consulting. And he lives with his wife, Pat, in Marco Island. Well, did until, unfortunately, she died uh, in 2014. They've got three children an actress, Kate Collins, Anne, and Michael. Yes. Do you know what he does in his spare time? I don't know. Tell me. He paints watercolours. Oh, no way. Yeah. He likes to do the Everglades and aircraft, but not not really space. Doesn't Gene Cernan also paint? Uh, yeah, a lot of them paint. I mean, Alan, I Bean, do, Alan yeah. Bean took it the most seriously. He got properly into painting, but he did mm. paint a lot of space scenes and stuff. Yeah, th- this is the bit you'll like. So there's a lot of songs, Jamie, about Michael Collins. Here we go. There's way more about Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil Armstrong. I was looking on Spotify. There's like thousands of them. But there's three really good songs about Michael Collins, and I love the sentiment in all of them. So Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull wrote one called For Michael Collins, Jeffrey and Me. And it's all about uh, feeling lonely and feeling left behind by people. And and it's kind of using Michael Collins being left behind by the people walking on the moon and their privilege. And he's kind of using that as a metaphor about him and his friend Jeffrey Hammond, uh, which is pretty cool. In fact, it's a very... That is cool. I need to hear that. I don't know if I've heard that. Yeah, it, yeah I put it on the space playlist. I put it on the space playlist. And I've also... He's got a good voice, at old Anderson, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old Jethro Tull. Bit of flute in there as well. And of course, Ian yeah, Anderson... Standing on one leg. Yeah, Ian Anderson's been involved with lots of ISS things. He played flute with Katie Coleman and stuff like that. So he's he's done some cool, he's done some cool space-related things. The old trout farmer. What a genius! <laughs> and uh, in 2013, and in, do you know the indie pop group The Boy Least Likely To, don't you? I'm aware of them. Yeah, they did a song called Michael Collins, um, and it's about being blessed to have the solid oh, to, to yeah. have the solitude to be truly separated from human contact, so that you can uh, another one I haven't heard. Yeah, so you can get modern life into a bit more perspective that 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 modern life is is not about being separated from other human contact but michael collins had that opportunity and and i I think it's kind of like they're jealous of it and then i love it i need to listen and then we opened up with a quote from the song that i really really like a a really bob dylan-esque american folk artist called john craigie and his song michael collins came out very recently and yeah, that's that's basically you know talking about how important he was on Apollo Eleven. You know, the boys would still be there if it wasn't it for him. That is so true. You know, like we would be still in the club dancing away if it wasn't for that driver. Yeah, Collins is pretty old now, but he still has time to do a sprint triathlon, which is a half mile swim, twenty mile bike ride, and four mile run, and he does that every year still. <laughs> 
Love him. <laughs> what, what a legend. Yeah. And he's always searching for a really good bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon under $10. <laughs> he likes a bargain. <laughs> yeah, he likes a bargain. He likes a good wine. That's that's man after my own heart. And he once said, I think NASA should be renamed NAMA. Mars, their one overriding goal and destination. Love that. I mean, I disagree slightly, but I love it. Yeah. So that's it. What do you think of uh, Collins? Well, I didn't know that much about him, and now I do. And and like you said, I think he's just an absolute unsung hero. He's a mega unsung hero, and a total. Let's put the spotlight on him again. He's a he's an absolute total bang out. He's he's yeah, what genius. So you know, I said fifty fifty for Aldrin and Armstrong. Yes. Have you seen the speech that Nixon would have read out had? Not only have I seen it, Matt, I've got it in front of me. Would you like to hear it? Go on, read it out. Read it out in a Nixon impression. Go. Here we go. So this was written on the 18th of July, 1969, just in case it all went wrong. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong, Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery. But they'll also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. In ancient days, men looked at the stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do the same. But our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied. But these men were the first and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. Amazing. Wow. I've I'd never read that before today. Yeah, incredible. Nah, oh, that's such an ace line, isn't it? For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come, will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. Almost makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's just <laughs> incredible. That's that's your tattoo, man. <laughs> the interplanetary podcast putting the ace back into space. SpaceX finally revealed the cause of their explosion, a leaky valve. Yeah. Which was pretty That's it's right. amazing that is. It's like a slug of this of the oxidizer hits titanium so hard and under so much pressure that the titanium itself explodes. And apparently that was totally unexpected. Mm. So they've changed the valve. The, yeah, good. the static fire test that we talked about last week for the Starhopper looked like it went a bit <laughs> wonky. A little bit pear-shaped. Ariane 6 Vulcan 2.1 engine has passed its qualification, so Ariane 6 on its way. 
India Tick. could make an attempt this weekend for Chandrayaan 2. Yeah. UK Space Agency signed an agreement with NASA, uh, which opens the door for a British astronaut to go to the moon. Finally. Emmanuel Macron uh, announced the uh, new National Military Space Force Command for France. Uh-huh. And Galileo has been offline for some reason. Oh. Yeah. The Interplanetary Podcast is alive! Do you want to finish off with some uh, Apollo facts? We should say some. I'm going to give you the first one. You give one. me the first one. Armstrong, in his PPK, the personal preference kit, took pieces of the Wright Brothers aeroplane, bits of wood and bits of canvas, and took it to the moon and brought it back again, and they can be seen in the Smithsonian um, Museum. Ah, uh, no way. I didn't know mm. that. Need to hunt those down. So what about this one, Matt? Medallions bearing names of the three astronauts who perished in Apollo 1 on the launch pad and the two cosmonauts who perished in a similar accident were all left on the surface of the moon. That's, that's a beautiful thing to do, isn't it? That's beautiful, isn't it? The astronauts were required to sign customs forms on their return to Earth, upon which they declared to be carrying moon rock and moon dust samples. <laughs> yeah, like they're at the airport. Anything to declare? <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, bits of the moon. Gen- genuinely, they were treated like people coming in from another country. Yeah, I remember Buzz Aldrin tweeting them. Matt, how many people do you think watched the moon landing? Six hundred million. This is in nineteen sixty-nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's got to be everyone with a telly. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. One small Incredible. step. One small step, Jamie. How 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 big do you think that? How small well, was that? It wasn't that, that small, was it? Three and a half feet drop. <laughs> yep. My favourite one, Jamie, though, the moon flag was just a regular f- flag bought down the local hardware store, Sears, by the secretary. <laughs> just like yeah, nip, that, nipped out, got the flag, boom, done. That is that is genius. But do you know what I like, Matt? Mm-hmm. Can I just can I just finish fi- on final, one final final space final, fact? Final yes. fact. The mission was so dangerous that the astronauts could not get life insurance. So they each autographed hundreds Mm -hmm. of covers, envelopes, to their friends that had postmarked 20th of July 1969 on, which they knew in the event of their death, their families and friends could sell them to, uh, you know, get their kids to college and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Couldn't get life insurance. I mean, yeah, that would be a, be a premium, wouldn't it? So, guys, I want to wish you all a good weekend. If you want to know more about us, what's the website, Matt? www.interplanetary.org.uk or www.puttingtheacebackinto.space. Incredible. Well, I'm, I'm emotional, Matt. I'm going to go and have a, uh, a pint of beer and think about Michael Collins. What are you up to? I'm going to watch my two boys play music. At the school. Bless them. Yeah. Rock on. Rock on. All right, have a good weekend have... and um, look up at the moon, yeah? Yeah, welcome to all our new patrons this week, of, be- of which there's been, a- oh, there, yeah. there's been a few. So thank you very much for joining us. Let's read on. your names out next, next week. Next week we have a big Patreon run rundown, Habitation special. Uh, that's it. Well done, Apollo. Fantastic 50th. I hope everyone enjoys. We love I you. I hope everyone enjoys the fiftieth celebrations and uh, raise a point for Michael Collins. Let's do it. See you. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. See you, Spodcast. Bye. <laughs>
Bye-bye, Spotcast. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.